Hey, happy Monday. Happy Monday. <laughs> we'll, we'll fix the volume on that one of these days. <laughs> what, is, it, is it loud for everybody else, too? Like, I, I thought it was just me. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. I actually haven't gone back and like watched a stream uh, to see um, what it sounds like to the rest of the world, but yeah, we'll, we'll find out. We, uh, our, our mystery guest for the, for the, for the day is just showing up too. Hey, hey, we got Doug on. <laughs> well, we actually have a lot of mystery guests. So we, we do. We do. Yeah. No, Jordan. Uh, Jordan's being bad again, I think, or we think. Or work or something. Yeah. And so we brought some homebrew buddies with us. Uh, yeah. So today's uh, episode. <laughs> you all right? <laughs> you, you, you do what you need to do, man. We'll, we'll get it all figured out. <laughs> well, we're all right. <laughs> yeah. We decided that, like, since uh, since Learn to Homebrew Day was uh, November seventh uh, this year, uh, so it's always the the first Saturday in November uh, that we would um, talk about like uh, what it's like to get started brewing and uh, and sort of uh, like the title says, get back to basics on like what a what a uh, a basic homebrewing like setup looks like, what maybe like your first couple of brews might look like. Um, maybe talk about like what it was like when we all started brewing and stuff like that, you know, our first beers and stuff. And, uh, um, I don't know, just, uh, just sort of, uh, a, a small little, maybe like a community building episode. I don't know what to call it, but it sounded how, like fun. How much better can you get than a bunch of homebrewers sitting online getting drunk <laughs> yeah. on Monday night? <laughs> Talking right. about how good they are. Talking about beer. So what are you drinking? <laughs> Let's do that. Uh, so I do have a bunch of homebrew tonight. Um, my keys are full up. Uh, so I've I've got a Harvestdale uh, right now in Skellington um, that I brewed with uh, my buddy Mike Burns's hops uh, that he grew on the side of his garage this year, and then uh, I won't I won't introduce them as I open them, but I've also got a uh, a sour apple cider that I made with uh, early sour yeast. Yeah, I've got a um, uh, just a normal hard. Uh, Perry, basically, uh, that I made with a Houston cider, and then I've got a, uh, a fest beer. Right on. So I don't have any homebrew. Uh, I've got I've got the same thing: a, a sour cider made with the Philly sour and the and the keys are crashing, and a plain Perry crashing. Um, but I had a Keyser accident in my house uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, tore everything down. I don't, I don't have anything. Uh, built back up, so I'm drinking Holmes, uh, Holmes Sucker, and it's a, a American Lager Asian fooder, and it's fucking fantastic. So, um, and then I don't even have any of your homebrew to dig dig into in there either. So I'll just be working my way through various breweries of things. So, what are you drinking, Doug? Uh, I got a homebrew cream ale Lutra, nice. and I pulled a bottle of North Coast uh, Old Rasputin. Oh wow, going big! Yeah. So Luther's <laughs> that new uh, that new Quebec yeast that uh, who, who put that out? Omega. 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 Okay. What do you think of it? I like it. I like it a lot. It's uh, it's pretty clean. It ferments quick. Uh, this is second gen of it. I just pitched another pitch yesterday for my cool. kid. So I mean, it's it's a uh, it's good. I like it. Did an IPA actually with it too for another friend, and that actually turned out really good. Okay, yeah, I yeah. still have not used that yet, so that's cool. That's good to know. 
What are you drinking, Bill? I got a German Pilsner that I brewed, and um, it's like the third iteration of that. <clears throat> Drink a lot of, a lot of Pilsner in quarantine, so. Yeah. Uh, went down nice. The Bilsner, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> is, that the, is that like version three of the one that you This is the yeah, it's version three. And I still I still haven't got back. The one I liked the best was the first one. But, you know, oh, it's hard so to remember. It might be. Yeah. Uh, we're getting closer. So. And then I, I do have a, um, a Harvest Ale on tap, too. But so I'll probably grab one of those. Nice. Uh, I brewed up my, my Cascade hops from the, the deck there. So. Oh, we'll have to do some swaps. Yeah, yeah, we need to. I got ten gallons of it, so I thought it turned out pretty nice. So. I need to get shit crashing in, in carbon so I can start trading. God damn it! Um, <laughs> what about you, Drew? Yeah, so this is um, Mister E Machine Version Two. It's a New England uh, recipe I've been working on, and um, got some help from uh, Jason and Brian with with this batch. I, I definitely think it's an improvement. Um, <coughs> It's all E hops for the aromatics and dry hopping, and um, so this batch had uh, Equinot, El Dorado, and Ella um, in it. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm planning to drink tonight. So, so you, you say you got help. You actually got drunk with Brian and I, and Brian <laughs> came up with this recipe on the fly and wrote it down on the back of a pizza box. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> actually known as pizza box, but I feel like that will turn people off, you know. It, yeah, like, it's like all Brian <laughs> fucking throwing shit down on the pizza box and us going, yeah. I don't want people to think it's like a tomato wine that's cheesy or something. <laughs> Yeah. No, it's delicious. I've had it for sure. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I, this, this is going to be like kind of a, an unstructured, uh, get drunk on stream episode. I have like some basic shit for us to like talk about. Um, I already talked about like what, uh, like when, uh, learn how to homebrew date was. Have you guys ever like participated in one of those, by the way? Like uh, bells ran them. Uh, yeah, I've been to the bells previous one. years. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't I I, I ask because I've never actually uh, <coughs> been to one, and uh, I don't know. Uh, do, were they like super useful? Like uh, how, what? How are they structured? Like what do they do? Like uh, what does bells do? Bells set up. Uh, they asked a bunch of. Well, I think Clob and Bells did it. Okay. <laughs> And they got a bunch of people to volunteer and, you know, it worked out pretty well because they had people of all different levels, people that just do, you know, extract and people are just doing all grain and, and then various setups. So it's kind of, I thought the most interesting thing as a new home brewer is to go see the different ways that people brew because, I mean, you, you know, I mean, you've been to other people's houses before, <laughs> you have no idea what they're doing half the time and you, you're a home brewer and you're like, all right, you know. Following so, you basic ideas, but like them hooking different things up and give you ideas, I thought, of how you could adapt your own system and things like it that. It was a bunch of different like uh, homebrewers there then brewing. It wasn't yeah. just like Bells. like Yeah, no, Bells, I don't, they, just, they just provided the water and the electricity and it was oh. all different homebrew setups. Okay. Uh, I think they were giving tours that day too to the homebrewers if you wanted yeah. to take one. Um, I was so. at one once at Bells and they had, uh, Blickman was there running or brewing on a couple of their different systems like they had a tower of power going i think and and something oh you know what so. there might yeah they were they were out in the beer garden though they yeah were, yeah room for them yep. there weren't wasn't room for them out in uh the little uh the area where they had all the home brewers though so yeah it, it was that. you're right 
it was neat to see that equipment run and mm-hmm. you know dream about maybe getting one someday but yeah unless you're brandon you don't have uh driver money for that no <laughs> no nah, nah, brandon doesn't he doesn't brandon you don't have a power tower right you have grandfather and something else but he was just telling me that he ran like a hundred foot, like two twenty, like line into his basement from his garage or something. Like that. I know he has. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, what no, that's cool. Yeah. So I guess the the uh, learn how to homebrew day has been around. I think last year was its twentieth year. It's been around since like uh, ninety nine or something like that. But. Um, and it doesn't sound like anybody's doing it this year. The AHA is not really pushing it this year. They're doing pledges online, uh, kind of like how they did for Big Brew Day this year, where you can, you know, pledge to brew uh, five gallons of beer or something like that. Just, just kind of, so they could like see like how many people are, you know, celebrating the day. I guess um, I potentially have something that I want to do for that day, but I don't have it all worked out yet. So. We'll see, but so there you heard it, folks. Everybody show up at Brian's house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of get screwed in Michigan on those two, both that and Big Brew, because they're always like fringe days of where it might not even be very nice, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. really crappy weather potentially. Well, I know, and especially oh. in Michigan, at least, you know, it starts to get uh, cold right around, mm-hmm. you know, beginning yeah. of November and stuff like that. So definitely boots and a jacket sort of day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, weather. uh. Let's talk about like how you guys first started brewing. Like, uh, Doug, like when you first started brewing, like what kind of setup did you have? Uh, my first setup was uh, a five-gallon extract kit from Bell's. A friend of mine, you know, we were going around all the different bars trying all these different beers, and I was like, man, this is like magic. And my buddy's like, well, I used to do it in college. And I mean, he's an engineer, and I'm like, this dude's really sharp. I need to learn something. And sure. I watched a ton of YouTube videos. And actually, the video that got me was uh, from Bells, the uh, the tall guy. I think he just left. That was part of the general store. Yeah. He actually did a, a video. I think it was at the Kalamazoo Library, and they put it on YouTube. And I watched the whole video from beginning to end. And that morning, I called my wife, and I'm like, I'm going to Bells, and I'm buying a homebrew kit. I can do this. And that's kind of where it started, man. It's been probably three, two. We did two extract kits, and I was kind of like, this sucks. This is, like, boring. Like, I need to make this way harder. So, uh, <laughs> and more complicated. So I bought a, actually, I had an old 10-gallon uh, igloo cooler, and, you know, I work in trade, so there's always stainless and parts around. So I started building stuff. Right on. Well, so yeah, go uh, back in. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, right? two, fifth, 2015. Actually, what really okay. got me to my daughter graduated high school. And that August, she was leaving for Grand Valley. So it was kind of like dad needs something to keep his mind off his daughter being two and a half hours <laughs> away. So I was like, this be, I'll be drunk and I'll be doing something. So it's awesome. Right on. <laughs> So I was going to, just for those that may not be brewers and may not know, we'll go through extract is probably one of the, the easiest entry level brewing styles to get into or brewing techniques. It's basically uh, all you need is pot and a can opener uh, and a bucket ultimately, right? And I've never done extract myself, but uh, extract you buy either powdered or liquid malt extract from the homebrew store. You get a kit, you get it individually. You take it home, you mix it with water, you boil it, you add your hops, uh, you know, cool it off and put it in a bucket with some yeast and 
a week later you got beer. Um, sometimes it can be even easier than that. Uh, sometimes they sell the liquid DME with like pre-hopped. So you don't pre-hopped even, DME, yeah. You don't yeah. yeah. So, so literally, you know, for very, very little, you know, if you have a pot and a bucket, you can get into the into the the hobby. Uh, and and there's some been you know just because it's all done for you doesn't mean that that it's not going to make a good beer, a great beer. I mean, there's medal winning, award winning extract beers. Uh, even in our club, there's there's guys that do extract True. beers and uh, yeah, there's one medal. When I was forced to do an extract beer, <laughs> I will. Uh, Pat, Patrick does extract all the time. Drew won a uh, won a competition uh, a couple years ago with an extract beer. Right on. Yeah. What about you, Bill? How'd you uh, how'd you get started? Um, kind of a long road. I had I was uh, in college, and somebody got me a Mister Beer kit. Probably probably my wife. I don't know. It was terrible. I made like <laughs> really terrible beers. Uh, I don't think I followed the directions very well. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, so I gave it up for quite a while. I never really had any good. I just thought you know nobody can make good homebrew. I never had anybody homebrew, and one of my buddies. Um, Started. He he was a home brewer, and I I went to a party, and he had brewed this amber ale, and it was actually really really good. And so I started getting interested, and I told my husband. He got me. Um, so it was probably a good seven years later. So she got me uh, into the brew on premise thing they do at Saugatuck, where you go there and basically they brew the the original Saugatuck and um, Saugatuck there. Anyway, they do a, a with the brewer. It's like it's expensive, but. Um, they basically walk through the, through the whole process and, and with one of the brewers, step by step, uh, you brew on their little system, which is actually an extract system. Oh, uh, no way. Old, like steam jacketed system. Uh, and there's like four of them. So there can be like four groups brewing at any given time on it. Huh. In the pub there. It's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, so we did that whole thing and turned out a really nice beer. And then I just started doing a lot of research and bought, you know, I went all grain right off the bat because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go. Um, I want to do what the big boys are doing, at least as close as I could do it, because that's the kind of beer I like, you know. So um, anyway, so yeah, so and then it just I upgraded from a five gallon batch to a ten gallon batch within like a I don't know ten months or something. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a fun hobby, but it, you know, I told my wife at least it's not old cars or something. It's <laughs> yeah. I could think of a lot more expensive hobbies people have. So. What about you, Drew? Um, well, as you know, Brian, I kind of started on the mead, uh, route. Um, hmm. uh, my, a cousin of mine brought over some homemade mead, um, that I thought was really good. And I'm like, wow, dude, you made this like, you know, and, um, kind of got a lot of feedback from him. And, um, I, growing up, my parents, uh, experimented making their own wine. They had, uh, uh some grapes and stuff and, Supposedly it wasn't very good, but um, they had some of the equipment and stuff. So I had like these old five-gallon carboys and stuff. So I kind of started on the mead route, um, which equipment-wise I think is a lower point of entry if if it's something you want to get into. I mean, like I've seen meads made where it's like, you know, somebody just buys like a one-gallon jug of distilled water and pour some out, pour some honey in, put some yeast in, throw a balloon on the top as your airlock. I mean, you you can do it for, I don't know, what's that, five bucks? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, like, so. And um, I, I've i made a, um, a mead with 
bread yeast before. There's um, Joe's Ancient Orange Mead. I think if you Google that, um, was one of the very first meads I make just to see if it was something I was into. And um, very low point of entry if it's something you want to try. Awesome. So is anybody, uh, <laughs> were you muted? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was just saying Jome. Yeah. Jome, that's it. <laughs> yep. What about you, Jason? Oh, I went all grain. You know, I jumped right into all grain like an idiot. Uh, not, not an idiot. I don't think, yeah. I mean, if you go back to the very first episode of the show, I'm trying to plug our earlier ones, where we interviewed Trevor Simic, I told that story. Um, but, but basically, in, in short form, uh, I went to some, you know, uh, classes that Trevor was putting on back at Pop Pop Rowing, and and he was, you know, basically saying everybody could get into this this hobby for a hundred bucks for a hundred dollar beer kit, and um, I ran right down to the homebrew store with Trevor, and six hundred dollars later, uh, walked out of there with, uh, you know, all the parts to make, uh, or you know, uh, you know, basically everything I needed for that beer kit. You know, and, and a cooler and all the brass to make my own mash time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, spent the next two days dicking around with that and and then uh, brewing my first all grain beer. So all grain, like we talked about extract being, you know, open a can, open a bag, mix it in water. All grain is where you actually take the different grains of beer or of malt, barley, whatever it happens to be, uh, grind those up in a mill. Um, and then and then heat you know water mash is called mash in which we can get into more in detail but basically you're soaking that grain you're making a tea out of it you're getting the sugar you're extracting all of that stuff yourself and then you're boiling it down adding hops uh chilling it then yeast and so on and so forth so uh, quite a bit more steps it's the traditional way most breweries brew beer um and then i think the, the only style that we really didn't cover is Brewing bag, Brian. Did you happen to do brewing bag? Or? I didn't. Um, and and I wish Jordan was on because I th I think that Jordan started that way. Um, really? I think Jordan and maybe even my buddy Mike. Um, those are the two that got me into brewing before. Um, uh, before I got into it, they were doing it for maybe a year before me. I think that the first beer that they ever brewed, brewed uh, was a more fermented. I guess it was it was a Bell's homebrew competition wart um and then uh that's a really easy way to get into it because you're not even doing the the brewing at, at that point you're basically just like controlling fermentation hoping you get a good beer out of it but uh they they got into it after that and uh um i, I brewed with jordan a couple times um and, and he did brew in a bag those times um and and so brewing a bag is uh is basically a method of all grain brewing where uh generally and and don't quote me on this because i don't brew in a bag i think you can sparge and stuff too but you basically mash in with most of or if not all of your um water that you're gonna use to uh, boil your wort and you just have a big enough pot and a big enough bag where uh, all of your grain can sit in there and be nice and loose and can be kind of stirred around a little bit and not clump up. And then uh, after, you know, an hour or so of it mashing at a particular temperature, you can just raise it out, squeeze it, let it all drip into a, um, your, your boil kettle and continue on with your day. 
there's no um, running water through it. Although I, I think you can, you know, fly sparge with a with the brew in a bag method, which is basically just like letting hot water drip through your grain to, you know, rinse additional sugars out and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I'll let people in chat talk about it because I know yeah. Tim Tim Wicklin mentioned it earlier. Yep. Um, he's a, he's a brew in a bagger. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, mean, I, oh, I was going to say it, um, you save money in equipment starting out that way a lot of times. Right. Because you can and, mash in your boil kettle. You don't need an additional mash ton to drain into a boil kettle, right? Yeah. Right. You, you might mean, spend a little yeah. bit more in grain because of the efficiency loss. but If, if you're just breaking into the hobby, uh, I, I think, you know, for entry-level day one person, mash ton is probably where you're going to put more of your money. I mean, depending on if you go with a, you know, high-end brew kettle. But, uh, you know, so, so by trading out, you know, uh, $8 bag uh that you're going to throw in your brew kettle you can save yourself 100 150 bucks on on that mash ton depending on you know which way you're going to go with it so it's it's definitely um a cool tool to use really helps with like stuck mashes and um you know yeah makes it makes it easy and makes it easier to get into all grain no, it's it's really cool to like see how uh like where different people started from like uh like I, so i started all grain too um because I uh, learned kind of from Jordan, and Jordan did all grain at that point in time, and I was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm a pro because I literally <laughs> watched him brew, you know, two times. And then, like everybody else, my first beer was absolute trash, um, because you. I mean, it's 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 learning, right? But uh, no, um, I, I know people that started with with extract and, and all grain, and, and Drew made meads first, and some people make wine and. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of interesting to to see all the hobbies just kind of uh, kind of coalesce somewhere or another. And the, the biggest eye opener for me was actually going to my first big brew day. Uh, I don't have a portable kit, so I'm I'm one of the weird ones in the club. I brew on my kitchen stove. So what is big brew day? Uh, so big brew day that you know that's a you know AHA homebrewers holiday happens usually I think in May, early early May. It always happens whenever the Kalamazoo Marathon is, so it's I, rare that I can go. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you basically get together with your club and everybody brings your rigs out into a central location. We usually do it at One Well, and, you know, everybody brews the same beer. Um, this year, because of COVID, we actually did it at home or all of our homes, and we got together on Zoom and everybody, you know, tried to brew the same beer or whatever. It was just brewing a beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but being it at my first uh, big brew and watching, you know how, uh, you know, uh, like Jake Downey brewed versus, uh, you know, you I think are there or whatever. But uh, mm -hmm. just seeing other people, you know, in their systems and their rigs and how they do things differently and how, you know, you may recirculate differently or or, um, you know, have different um, great treatments or different sparging techniques and and seeing David Jones with his. Uh, um, Erector set sparge arm. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. You know, his, his, uh, his little collapsible um, uh, scaffolding. Scaffolding, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome, you know, and just to see mm -hmm. that shit out there and, and how other people do it really opened my eyes. Yeah, so. literally nobody brews the same way. And there's, there's, there might be some more effective methods than others, but there's no wrong way, probably. Right. There's so many more options now. I mean, when I first got started, I mean, now there's always all-in-one systems, too, which are basically, like, 
piggybacked on the brew in the bag, but they use like a stainless steel, you know, mesh bucket inside of the kettle. And I mean, it's just, you could, you, could, you know, spend a hundred bucks and you could spend $2,000 getting into the system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or more. Probably six. I, um, I didn't even talk about beer earlier, but I, I was real into partial mash when I started beer. So it's still essentially extract, but you use a portion of grains to kind of get body and color and stuff like that. So how do you use the grain? What, what is partial mash? Um, so you would, you know, kind of start heating up your water first. Um, or at least, you know, some of your water, usually you're dealing with a smaller pot a lot of times on your, so I had like a, I don't know, four gallon maybe pot or something mm -hmm. when I started. So I'd put like, you know, two, two and a half gallons in there of water heat it up and then you have like a big muslin sack of grains that you would use um and usually a lot of times you know it would be to add your color to add some body you know maybe you have some flaked oats in there just stuff really, that normal extract or wouldn't have in it right right Basically. yeah i mean if you're trying to make like a blacker than night stout you're gonna have a hard time making that with nothing but extract like so I think I, when I started out, I was really into making stouts and, um, you put some nice dark grains in there and you kind of steep it like a bag of tea. Um, you know, once it's up to temp and, and you get some of the sugars out, but a lot of what you're after is color and, and maybe some tannins and things like that. But that was actually how I started growing. I didn't do just the dump some LME and DME, all my kits were the partial mash kits. Mm -hmm. They all came with steeping grains and the, you know, all your base malt was actually the DME or LME. It's actually going to be fermentable. Everything else was like crystal malts and stuff like that. It worked. It made, I mean, I like the beers we made. I was just kind of bored with just dumping a couple things. And I, but I, I have to say, I'm an ADD brewer. I mean, you guys talking about uh, brew in a bag. I did brew in a bag. I've done the three vessel. I bought a <laughs> basket. So I've got a brew in a bag. I've got a brew in a basket. And I think I finally figured it out. You know, I'm, I've got the Anvil 10, uh, 10 and a half gallon system that I really, really like. I, I like that system a lot. I still keep like, my match ton of stuff. I want to do a really big bear. Those anvils just aren't built for it. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I I feel like that too. I, I um, I've tried everything, or I've tried a lot of different things. I've got the three tier or the 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 three single tier, uh, three vessel system out in the garage. Um, I, you know, I've 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 toyed around with some extract stuff too, but I just I like the. Um, I, I always go back to my all grain in my kitchen. One, it's comfortable. It's either air conditioned or heated. <laughs> it's got a nice nice chair cleans up easy uh when i remodeled my kitchen i added plumbing underneath the sink so i could hook up my chiller and get water quick uh and uh and, and, but i i just i like i like the creativity i like the hands-on nature of all grain of milling the grains picking the grains out you know mixing that stuff in mashing in um all of that stuff. I just like that process. You've always talked about like you like eating the individual ingredients mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So no, I can totally see that from you. I got into it because it's it's uh, it's ultimately I like science. And I like cooking. 
uh, and, and then that's beer. I mean, in a nutshell, it's, it's, it's cooking and it's chemistry. And, um, I like the creativity of it. I like tasting the grains and, uh, you know, it's, uh, learning what the different grains, and different hops do to either the body, the mouthfeel, the flavor, the color, all of that shit. It's just really crazy. So I do it for the science. Of course, not the alcohol at all. <laughs> what, what was your uh, what was your first you know scientifically brewed beer then? My, my very first one. Sure. Um, yeah. So I did. Uh, I figure I want to drink that. I'm going to drink the sour. Um, you know, my very first beer that that I picked out with Trevor was a um, what I thought of as a red IPA. I call it Judgment. Um, I, I wanted a, a more amber-colored IPA because I like the, the slightly maltier side of IPAs. Uh, I liked the citrusy. I'm not a big piney guy. So I wanted uh, what was Citra and Chinook to, to kind of give me that uh, citrus bitter. I don't know what you guys are talking about. Your first beer sucking and shit. Man. I was just going to ask you. <laughs> I'm just being an asshole. That first beer though, I took, I wish I had my, I, I have all my notebooks. I'm a big notebook guy. And that first beer I brewed, I took 19 pages of notes. Um, everything I did throughout the day, every, every, if I had had to add a half a cup of water, I think at one point, cause I, I thought the temperature I was trying to hit, you know, like 152 right on the fucking nose so I'm like sitting there with hot and cold water, uh, dithering it. And I kept track of the ounces, um, you know, that I put in it. And uh, I think I even took a temperature, humidity, and weather reading. Like, and I all I, I tracked it all. That's how I was. I was into it. 19 pages. Now. Wow. Today's brews. And I, again, I don't even have my current brew book on my desk. But today's brews get about a quarter page notes. <laughs> Uh, of what I did, it was basically just like times I wrote down, um, and any you know, if I tweak it at all, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's definitely changed. I've, I've scaled back my uh, my craziness a little bit. What were you guys' first beers? Like, Drew, did you say that? I, I know you talked about your no, um, I, I'm pretty sure it was a kit, um. And funny enough, it's the right time of season. I think it was like a pumpkin stout or something, or a pumpkin beer, like um, something Charlie Brown. It was a kit from like Adventures and Homebrewing or something. I'm sure they still sell it, but and like, I mean, it, it definitely wasn't a drain pour. Um, it was, you know, I like to think it wouldn't hold up to my current beers I make, <laughs> but uh, I, I was happy to drink it. It seemed like people. Stomach to at least, but uh, yeah. yeah, I think it was some kind of pumpkin stout. Did you say what that kit was, Doug? That you got for your first beer? Uh, I was trying to remember. Uh, I think it was like a best brewer's best, like oh. amber. Oh, okay. Brewer, it, the the kit was a brewer's best, like American amber or something like that. It wasn't okay. bad. It wasn't except it wasn't a drain pour. It just wasn't. Super great. I actually still have a bottle of the first <laughs> uh, all grain kit. I did a Scottish Wee Heavy, 7%. I still have a bottle from that from that was probably December of 2015. It's sitting in my fridge. That's, that's going to be my 10 year uh, brew anniversary beer. Oh, dang. That's awesome. 
watch that shoot through the roof when I open it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Put it outside. Yeah. We'll get the bottle conditioning in the room. Yeah. I don't know how you feel like the first one, like the Mr. Beer one. I don't, it was like a paleo or something. It was sure. Then I had Saga Tuck. We did, uh, you got to kind of design your own recipe to some degree. And I did a uh, like a grapefruit IPA. I want to do like a big grapefruit double IPA because I never had a grapefruit IPA at the time. And uh, they thought I was nuts. And <laughs> brought in like I, I brought in a bunch of grapefruits because they're like, can you bring the grapefruit? We don't have any of that. So I brought it in and started like, you know, peeling, put the rind in it. And all oh, kinds my God. And uh, anyway, it turned out pretty good. And then on my own, I just jumped in because I'm a lunatic. I jumped in and brewed like a, it was like a KBS clone. Like the wow. first year, I on my own, and it it was way low ABV, but it turned out it was more like a breakfast out clone. It's probably really what it came out to be. But um, I even looked up a way to add bourbon. You know, I just kind of went. I did a lot of research before I even jumped off of you know on my own brewing. But um, but yeah, that was my very first beer, and it turned out really good. So I'm, I'm you know at an all grain level anyway. So do you think that like that was a good way to start? Like a so. Like, like, again, it's, it's interesting, like how some people start like, uh, with like the easier sort of things. And some people just kind of go like, you know, all grain and go all in. Um, and there, and there, I guess there's two like ways of thinking, like, uh, some people are big advocates for people starting out easy and learning the basics and slowly like, uh, you know, easing your way into like advanced brewing techniques and stuff like that. Yeah. And then there are some people that are diehard trial by fire. Like <laughs> you, you get in there and, and you just, you do your thing and you learn your lessons and, and you will get better because mm-hmm. you've already invested, you know, your money in this equipment and you're not going to let yourself, you know, fail. And like, uh, you know, what, what do you guys think? You have a, you have a, I think we all do. I mean, I, you know, I've definitely added things, even though I jumped all grain, I still added things to, you know, I've, I mean, most recent thing was like, you know, um, adjusting water and, and pH and stuff like that, that I really wasn't doing. I didn't do that for six, seven years of brewing. You know, I didn't really mess with it. I just, but it still turned out and do I make better beer? Maybe. I mean, I don't, I don't know. If it sure. that yeah. So but just adding little things once you get other Things. So what was that, Bill? You're doing like water treatments and stuff and building water. Yeah, water? yeah. So I usually use like I, you know, RO water. Now, once I moved to Kalamazoo, I noticed there was a difference. At least I thought there was a perceivable difference between the water here than the water I was using at Battle Creek when I was just using tap water. And not to say maybe I was just more used to that water at the time, but I, I, I thought it tasted different. So that's when I started buying RO and then looking into adding my own salts back in, you know, to kind of um, create the water I wanted to use or thought I wanted to use, you know, you, you wouldn't think, uh, I mean, you should think that water is like that important, but it's, I guess it's not, not something that I certainly consider when I first started brewing. Yeah. Um, I specifically remember quite a few of my beers that I brewed with water right out of a hose. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, you, you, you drink hose water, right. And it's like, I mean, it yeah. tastes like hose water is a very specific flavor, but like that carries through into the beer then too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. you don't, you don't think about that, but like it, yeah, it's it's crazy. Well, to and clarify, like, uh, there though, you know that twenty-year-old garden hose you've got out back's probably fine, but good lord, brand new garden hose, the rubber, yeah, yeah, yeah that's probably, probably fair. You can smell it when you unroll it. Ugh. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You know, when you run the hose like the first time and you get that like kind of creamy haze that doesn't have uh, like water coming out the end, that's what you want to put in your beer right there. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do the water. Have, uh... Oh, go ahead, Doug. That's all right. I do the water treatments too with ROs and put minerals back in because where I live, my water table is so bad. It's just. You, you talk about the off color when you leave the hose. I turn the hose on. It looks like rust water. I got to let that run for a few minutes. It's bad. I actually sent it to Ward Labs, and uh, I, let, I think somebody looked at it from Club, and they're like, do you like stout? And I'm like, they're all right. And they're like, do you ain't throwing anything else with this? Yep. So I just RO water, man. I take it over to Gordon's, get a few jugs full. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cheap thing. Yeah. It makes a huge difference. So, I, I'm I'm in the same boat where I want it very hard and too much iron, and yeah. Now you can just go to Brian's and get RO water, right? I hear you. I, I do have a RO system. Yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll fill five gallon jugs at a time and just store them until I use them. Yeah. See, I'm a, I'm a Gary there. I I use my well water right from the tap. Uh, if it tastes I've said this on air many times when I move my beer, my brewing is going to go down the, the drain, man. Cause I brew the beer. I, the beer that I brew is as good as it is. I think because of my water. Um, That's fair. hundred percent. It matters like what your well water's like or whatever, yeah. you know, I mean, a lot of European breweries have done very little, you know, modifications to their well water for hundreds of years just depends on what you have you know no you're right and a lot of those european breweries you know i mean not not so much nowadays i think because everybody is doing everything but back in the day you know you were in a certain region at a certain brewery they brewed a certain beer and that was what Mm -hmm. they brewed because that was what you know and that water profile is kind of fit into that style they adapted to their what they had right all that kind of thing yeah that's probably true Mm -hmm. i could stick with the you know if your water tastes good coming out the tap Mm-hmm. You know, if you can drink it, it's probably pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'll bring you some of mine if you want to try it. Uh, we don't even drink it out of the tap here. It's it's just bad. <laughs> Came back from the lab. When we moved in here, this house had a water softener and an RO system. And uh, I tried the water without, and I loved it. And it it, it took me about a year, but I, I finally ripped out the RO system, ripped out the – or bypassed the water softener and – We've been on straight well for for years. Had it tested, tested out, damn near perfect for brewing. Hmm. It's like artesian well. I think it's. I mean, it's flooding. It flooded my basement too, and it's it's flooded half the damn neighborhood. So, I mean, it's a bitch in and of itself. But but living here, it's great. The water is beautiful. Did you keep any of your basement water to brew with? Could have been like a. <laughs> like a... Extra gypsum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the like like the roof water from Borges when we when you worked there. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, we we had a leak in the hospital I used to work at and uh they collected in a nice big old rain barrel in the middle of our office. Yeah, like a big you know, steel oil drum. <laughs> like I was like, we should brew some beer with that stuff, dude. You never know. <laughs> you know, you, you go back to if, if anybody's watched. I think it's uh, on Netflix called "How Beer Saved the World." I still haven't watched that. Yeah. Okay. So I, I believe, and I might be wrong, but I, I, I believe in there they 
they actually do an experiment where they go to a duck pond and they they pull out water <laughs> and, and brew a batch of beer with this you know still stagnant pot water and it's perfectly fine they were trying to show how beer um you know mm. the act of brewing the beer with the water and uh you know going through the grains and and, and such you know actually purifies and pasteurizes uh you know they were doing this before we knew what pasteurization was before you knew that there were you know brain eating and enemies in that pond water or whatever right or, yeah amoebas um <laughs> but i i'm sorry i'm a saltwater guy brain eating amoebas um Demo. but i don't know if that i don't i don't think brewing takes out you know uh lead and uh, <laughs> whatever else is coming <laughs> off of that roof water yeah I got a, that with a, he just went out to a lake by his house and got a bucket of lake water and proved that he could brew a good beer out of it because somebody bet him he couldn't brew a beer out of lake water it yeah was, it was like a good paleo actually so, honestly uh every summer there's a little town by me, Burr Oak, and they have like a heritage day. For the past two years, my little homebrew club where I'm at, we go and we do a homebrew demonstration. So we pay for some power and water and everybody brings their system. I got three different guys that brew three different ways. And uh, last year, one of my guys, he actually finished his beer pretty quick, his brew day. So we didn't have any like decent water and he's just like, I'm taking this five gallon bucket down and he went down to the river near the grounds we we're at and he threw another beer with that river water. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. I mean, for the most part, I guess if it gets boiled, like it's probably fine. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. That's ultimately what, what, what you're looking at when you, especially when you're doing all grain, you know, you're, you're effectively filtering out particulate matter through that grain bed. Mm -hmm. The grain bed acts as a, an amazing filter there. So you're getting solids out uh, and then you're boiling the hell out of it. So you're killing any, any uh, particular nasty that may be in the, you know, any Giardia or whatever it's called in the river water, uh, you know, any of the I mean, you look. You look at the boil water advisories, yep. and they're they're like twenty minutes or something. So when you make a beer, it's usually sixty. So you're like going above and beyond as far as that goes. And you wonder why, yeah, medieval times people are like, well, I can if I drink river water, I get sick, but if I drink two three percent beer, I'm fine <laughs> all day. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a really great it's a great documentary if you've got time to watch i hope you're saving the world and they go back and, and and it's just that yeah you know, it was a sanitary drink um it was a nutritious drink uh you know beer has uh you know the calories in it that that you know the workers used to need to survive it's basically drinking bread and um yeah it's that's professor cool. brian's homework you go watch that because <laughs> jason's right it's awesome <laughs> Well, all right. I'll, I'll pull it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I what a lost, I lost my Professor Brian's. Uh, yeah. What What happened? Good. I hope they all got deleted. I'm not. It's not very Professor Brian-y today. It's it's all beginner, right? Hey. I mean, I can make another one really quick, but <laughs> I think they're all go. up there somewhere. The more you, the more know. you know. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So so we went over kind of how we started brewing. Uh, what our first beers were, 
And uh, and Bill, you kind of you kind of got into it with with doing water profile, you know, from when you started or when you did not. But but I would take that to the others. Like, what is that thing that you've learned or done, or what is that thing that you do now that has made your beer better than from when you started? Like, how, how do you how have you evolved your brewing? Fermentation control, really? temperature control. I think that was huge for me. I mean, the water profile stuff, you know, that really helped, but you know when i started actually paying attention to my fermentation temps and keeping an eye on that that really kind of elevated i think my beer you know just uh instead of just letting it go paying attention i, <laughs> I fermented beer next to my keyser and i realized how much heat was coming off the back of my keyser oh yeah it's crazy right yeah 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 and i'm like man look at that yeast go it sounds like a gatling gun and it's just bubbling <laughs> away i'm like yeah i taste it i'm like no, this isn't good. <laughs> so, so why why is heat bad? Why is so much heat bad? Uh, yeast doesn't like it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe the issue is that yeast does like it too much. Or, yeah. yeah. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, it likes it too much. So it it, it uh, makes them work harder than they wanted to, and they uh, produce really horrible flavors. And that beer got turned into a beer competition, and I was mortally uh, humiliated when they <laughs> took a drink of it. I was like, oh, shit, that's my beer. Did you yeah. get some good feedback on that? I actually did. I got a lot of really good feedback, and they were pretty cool about it. They weren't just like, you're an idiot. Don't. No, they, they asked me my process, and. I even has like check out this video. It was fermenting really great, and they're like, "Oh, that's so cool!" <laughs> oh, yeah. they're like, no, that's, that's not right. That's uh, that's that's not good. And uh, it, that that was kind of one of the biggest things. I ended up buying an old stand-up freezer and an inkbird temperature controller, and from then on, this thing's a lot cleaner, tastes a lot better. I um, I don't know if it, it's something I read or if it's something that somebody told me at one point in time, um, but uh in terms of like you know heat and stuff like that um i've i've had it explained to me or read or whatever uh that that fermentation is sort of like a race like the the gravity that the yeast is going to get to it, it's going to get there regardless like there's a starting point and ending point for the most part um but if the the yeast is like warmer and it's working hotter just like when like you're running a race like a marathon or something like that uh like what happens like when you get to the end like if you were to run like a marathon and you know four hours versus like you know walking it and getting there like 12 hours later you're going to be tired you're going to be sweaty and like that's that's how the yeast feel and the, that sweat like is what gets into your beer you know and adds all those like nasty flavors and stuff like that <laughs> and uh and and keeping that temperature down, you know, keeps the yeast sweat <laughs> you know, out of the out of the beer, basically. And uh, the the yeast gets to where it needs to be uh, when it needs to be there, uh, without like all like the you know, off flavors and stuff like that. And I I that whenever whenever somebody says like fermenting too hot, that's always what I think about is yeast sweat. Like, <laughs> that's a great analogy. I like it. Yeah, <laughs> makes I mean, sense. It's funny I mean, though. That's um. That's like the, the the one thing I would say out of all the brewing techniques that I, that's I don't do. I don't have I don't do temperature control. I mean, you have a really cool basement, bro. My basement, you know, it's funny because I think Gary again uh, mentioned that having that Michigan basement. I don't yeah, have a Michigan yeah. basement. Uh, um, 
but I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of those, I'm a big guy and I don't let my house in the summer, I don't let my house go above 68. And in the winter, I don't let it go, you know, below 68. So <laughs> I keep my whole house. I, I'm, I love my air conditioning. When my wife shows me the, the electric bill and, and, you know, shows me the crazy uh, summer AC usage, I just, you know, shrug, that's what I make money for. Um, <laughs> pay for air conditioning. So, uh, so I mean, my whole house is kind of like a fermentation control, but it is something that I'm, I'm, I really want to get into specifically because, you know, I know, you know, certain strains of yeast, you get into the saisons or the the, mm-hmm. the the hefes and stuff like that, you know, and fermenting them warmer can bring out different esters. And I know mm-hmm. that I can dial in my some of my techniques and get different, you know, flavors or cleaner beers or even lagering by doing temperature control. So that's great that that's that's your uh, your big takeaway. What about you, Drew? What do you what, what's your big lesson learned? Um, I mean, honestly, uh, I think that's one of the best ones is. Um, fermentation control um but i would say to somebody new um there's a lot of yeast that can kind of get around that factor if you don't want to invest money in doing something like that um you know i mean like fake yeast and stuff which didn't exist when i started home brewing like that stuff can pretty much get as hot as it wants and you'll still make a pretty decent beer um but um i think water was a big thing for me um and I think Brian kind of called attention to it, um, helping me out, you know, trying to get some good, you know, you basically got to hold them down and be like, give me some bad feedback, damn it. I want to know what's wrong with my beer, you know, one of those moments. And he's like, oh, you know, like, I, I think, you know, maybe something with your water. Like, I have good stout water, like Doug was saying. Like, um, you know, there's some iron and some undesirables in there that I think kind of held me back. And then um, I would say like a proper yeast pitch is one of the biggest things I've taken away. Like if you go buy an old pack of liquid yeast or something, you really should be doing a starter. You really should be building that up. Um, Damn near you can't over yeast a beer to my knowledge. And um, yeah, it's hard to do. So it's all about keeping the yeast happy at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. That's why I always liken liking it to like baking. You know, like when you put something in the oven, it's gotta be perfect when you put it in. Kinda like when you're saying you like cooking and yep. you know, I would say like it's not like cooking where you can taste it along the way. It's like, oh, I can just add a little more, you know, hot <laughs> sauce or whatever. It's more like putting you know, like you have to make sure everything's pretty much correct when it goes into that fermenter. It's equivalent of the oven and and uh, like he said, yeast is obviously yeast makes beer, we just make work. So Right. Um, Very true. Yeah, I think that was the the first like big improvement I made in when I was got into home brewer, I think, or the the first adjustment I made was making my 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 own stir plate and uh, doing yeast starters, and I, it was pretty quick after I started. So yeah, yeast starting, totally agree. I think back in like uh, maybe two thousand. Uh, so Doug, you started in two thousand fifteen. I think that yeah. I started around then too, because I think my first uh, Bell's Homebrew competition class is from two thousand fifteen. Um, but um, before then, I, I was I was mostly making just like uh, I was following recipes and stuff like that. But like, what really drove me to uh, improve my process is I started ringing about New England IPAs. Uh, back before you know m43 was around here or old nation was popular or anything like that and uh, 
yeah, I, I just, and, and Shana will like tell you, I guess, like I brought like a, a freezer and hauled it downstairs into our townhouse and invested in like a couple new like pieces of gear and stuff just to like brew this one particular style that I had never even tasted before. I just read about online because uh, New England's there, there wasn't a single New England IPA being made in Michigan at the time. And, uh, no, it was, it was crazy. I think if anything, that's probably what set me off on my like obsession for, you know, quality and temp control and yeast pitch and all those other good things. And, I'm glad that Drew brought up Kleckies too. Like, uh, I think that that is a great, uh, great tip. There's, there's a uh, some strains of and and Doug, you were using Lutra. Yep. There's uh, some strains of Norwegian yeast that are uh, just becoming available. Um, Omega's had a couple for a couple of years now, but these things uh, perform arguably better at warmer temperatures, um, and and certainly don't produce bad flavors. Um, and I think they're just super, super good for home brewers. They're liquid yeast, which uh, can be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, fickle than dry yeast. Doesn't necessarily keep as long or as well, but uh, some some manufacturers are actually producing dry quite yeast now. Lalamond has one. Lalamond has one? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think they have dried Voss, maybe? I don't I actually know. Remember which one it is, but yeah. I can't remember either, yeah. Well, Brian, you stepped up a bunch from like random packets from Norway or whatever, right? Yeah, no, well, yeah, I, I, I literally uh, on a yeast trading group on Facebook, I had a guy from Norway send me like six different strains. I think back when it was just becoming popular, when like Lars Blog was becoming recognized and stuff like that, and um, he sent yeah, me, like I, dirty napkins with yeast on them or something. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 I honestly like the the stuff that uh, comes from the yeast manufacturers more than what I got from Norway. <laughs> not not the, the stuff I got from Norway. You know, it's I don't think it's contaminated. I just think it's more, uh, you know, au naturel. Yeah. Uh, whereas the, yeah. the 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 stuff is very isolated um, that I've been getting from uh, you know the yeast manufacturers, and it's more consistent, I guess. But yeah, you're not digging that Barnet flavor. What's that? So you're not digging that barn hay flavor? <laughs> I, I do in certain things, just not when I'm uh, trying to brew like a juicy New England IPA, and like I get like horse penis in it too, or something like that. Like, mm, I have no yeah. idea what that is. Like. <laughs> uh, Somebody did the research, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I was on horse blanket. But I hint of hint of horse. Well, yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh. no, I, I think that's a good tip. I, I don't. Um, yeah, peanuts. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> well, it's a it's a really forgiving yeast too. I mean, with the temperature range that it has, that's kind of nice. Give it yeast. Yeah, it yeah, is. Takeaway is it's a good starter yeast for a home brewer that probably wasn't available to all of us when we started. Um, and, and, and not that I'm trying to like fanboy uh, Imperial yeast or anything like that but uh, uh, so Imperial has at least one if not two uh, Kvike blends, Kviking for sure but their yeast counts in their uh, packets are like one and a half to two times more than like a lot of other people and uh, 
uh, somebody mentioned like yeast health and pitch rates. Um, when you buy like a, you know, a pack of yeast that has, you know, supposedly a hundred billion cells in the pack, by the time you get it home, it's probably like 60 billion or less just because it's been sitting on the shelf for a bit. Um, with the Imperial yeast, you can at least assume it's probably like 120 billion or something, if not more. Um, and, and that's just at a minimum still like super pitchable at that rate at a, you know, and, and like two, uh, you don't, excuse me, actually need a lot of it. Um, it doesn't necessarily require as, as much as like normal yeast. You can, you know, yeah. go really light on it and it produces like super fun flavors when you under pitch it a little bit and stuff too. So yeah, Doug, super, super forgiving. Yeah. It's surprising um, me. They put 200 billion in those packs too. You know, you think for that one, they could probably put less in there and still charge the same amount. Yeah. Probably don't that's something that. I haven't experimented enough with. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I still do normal pitches with my mm -hmm. bike. Like this beer here, I did a starter for because it was kind of an older pack of yeast. And I mean, there's no harm in building up the yeast profile. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not a fan of under pitching like no. intentionally. You know, if I have time to do it right, I'm 100% with you. I also feel that, uh, you know, if you have the ability to do oxygen instead of just aeration, uh, you can get away with uh, maybe not as big of a yeast pitch or whatever if you mm. really uh, pre oxygenate your wort. So, and it's actually something as a tool for a home brewer that you can get into relatively cheaply. I mean, you can buy little O2 tanks at Home Depot or Menards for you know, nine bucks and, uh, you know, you get the little adapter and a, an airstone for like 20 bucks and you can easily get four or five brews out of that where you're, so it's important after you, you, you know, you make your wort, you boiled it, you boiled out all the oxygen. Um, I'm kind of going back to explain a little bit. Uh, and then you chill your wort before you pitch your yeast, typically homebrewers aerate by either sloshing, stirring, dumping from bucket to bucket, um, whatever. I was always worried that I could introduce weird shit because I've got cats and dogs and stuff running around my house. Um, so the alternative is, is you can get an air stone and pump aquarium, an aquarium pump and you can just pump air into it or you can buy a little O2 tank and pump oxygen into it. Um, so that the yeast has, uh, you know, the oxygen they need to get going and and uh, and kickstart. And so I feel like even doing a, a straight pitch, you know, like those Omega or Imperial packages where I'm just taking those and dumping them straight in without making a starter. If I've oxygenated, I've never had a problem. That might that might be a good segue. Um, what's the latest thing you've added to your homebrew setup? Because for me, it is an oxygen tank and an aeration stone. Nice. I finally bought the stuff to do that. I was doing the whip with the, you know, power drill and some of the other things to aerate, but I'm just curious what, how about you guys? I did a, um, I had an old keg that I had sitting there for quite a while. And so I bought a uh, adapter he used that as a fermenter. So I usually do 10 gallon batches so I can just brew all or ferment all 10 and a half barrel keg. And it's got a little thermo well in it. It's got a blow off tube. And then it's actually got a, a dip tube that runs down when you want to drain it. So you don't ever have to even move it. I fill it in the keys in the uh, fermentation chambers. I don't have to pick it up and put it in there full of hmm. beer. And then I drain it out using, you know, CO2. So it's all 
you know, sealed off. So I don't, that's the other big thing is I don't introduce any oxygen when I transfer anymore. I try to do close transferring, which yep. I think that's made a difference, especially in hoppy styles. So, but, yeah. You know, on that real quick before we go to Doug is, I feel like one of the best things that you can do, we, we just talked about what everybody, you know, the big thing that they learned, uh, you know, I feel like it's, um, it's CO2 purging for me. And I think the importance of CO2 purging, uh, which you can get into again, very cheaply. You don't even need a CO2 tank. You can get little, you know, airsoft charged uh, things and a, a little like a dispenser at, at the homebrew store. But um, you know, if you ever have to rack into a secondary or, uh, go into your bottling bucket or whatever, anything that you can purge uh, to get the oxygen out of that, I think is, is one of the best things I learned to uh, improve my beer and avoid oxygen oxidation. So there's oxygen in the beginning. It's great. Yeast love it. Oxygen after the fact, after the yeast is done, not good. So so what's the big thing that you did though, Doug? You were, you were about to say... I kind of the same thing what Bill was saying was I when I bought my all-in-one system I also picked up one of those uh, stainless steel fermenting buckets and that thing, that's just awesome so easy to clean you know it, it's it's got a you know spigot on the bottom of it I purge my kegs too like hook hook it to the the uh, liquid end and just fill right from it in there I'll put a little purge on the top of the fermenter just to keep a little bit of co2 up there but that that's i love that so i actually just ordered another one so i have to get rid of all these uh glass carboys and plastic ones i've been a big glass carboy guy like i i never really i think i, I only fermented a couple of beers and buckets uh when i first started and then i, I went to glass carboys and i did all my primary even in glass um wow the thing the thing for me recently was, and and I know Brian just stepped away, but over his house and seeing his speedles, uh, you know, basically he was using big, big plastic barrel speedles. So the same thing as a big stainless steel vessel that you can do it. I, I got a couple of those and I'm, I'm loving them. I've got a mead going in one right now and a black IPA and another one and so much easier. And yeah, the transfer is easier. Yeah. I have one of those. Those are great. Those those speedles are awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I'd love to to get into like the stainless steel fermenters, but uh, maybe someday soon. But yeah, Fusion I have one I spike flex. It's like a seven and a half gallon. But um, I didn't go that I did. fancy. I got the end though. Oh, those okay. are a lot cheaper. Lot way well, cheaper. Way cheaper. It's <laughs> it's very beer style dependent. Like I try and leave my flex free for like an IPA or something like a New England IPA or something where oxygenation's a real issue and then I mean I still do a lot of stuff in buckets you know however many years in five yeah, six years in so I, was, I think I was talking to Brian about the other day or maybe my wife asked me and he was here I don't remember but you know I just I think early on I switched to glass carboys just because I wanted to see it better mm -hmm. I hated yeah. it open in the, yeah. the bucket you know and um and i i got lucky i think in early on in my brewing i think i went over to it might have been trevor that gave me a bunch of carboys i think i've given them away since then uh but i just had all these carboys and it was like why why don't i just ferment right in there and uh so i i, I until it's funny i've got the two ciders that brian helped me get uh, when i was out of town a couple weeks ago 
are both in buckets. And those are like the first things I've fermented in buckets in probably six years. Wow. wow. Yeah. I pretty much just do meads and buckets these days, but um, most of my meads have a lot of fruit and like the big round opening is just, it's perfect for that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? That's why I'm doing it in the, yeah. in the speed on now. It's because I can still fit the potato masher in there to knock my cap <laughs> down. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Gary uh, asked a question uh, too. Have you tried to do uh, like a yeast with a uh, honey in the water? And uh, um, I haven't. Uh, I I had this thought um, previously too when I had like extra honey and stuff, and I don't know how like on base this is. Supposedly, um, it, you know, yeast uh, as it you know reproduces and stuff like that, it evolves, and you know, there's different generations of yeast and stuff like that, and. I guess the theory uh, is that if you, I don't know, train a yeast uh, or grow a yeast with a particular uh, sort of sugar, um, like honey, then it will become more used to eating that honey instead of like what it was grown by the lab to eat, which is mostly maltose. Um, so um, I, I have it and I don't because um, you need probably more yeast nutrient to do that um, right. instead of like malt extract and you're potentially, and again, I don't know if this is true or not, but you're potentially um, teaching the yeast to eat like a different kind of sugar and you may have like a lower attenuation at the end. Um, My concern. And it's more expensive, be... I think, probably. Yeah, it probably is. I mean, especially if you compare the price of honey to, uh, you know, the price of a one pump back at LME or DME or whatever. Um, Gary, I think has some hive, but uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but still, my concern there would be the nutrients. You know, the the honey itself doesn't have the right nutrients that the, the yeast really need to be healthy and successful. Uh, he also asked me about my carboys, uh, and I absolutely do. So clear glass and light is not good. Um, so here's my my lesson learned. I actually I used to uh, store all of my carboys in a bathroom in my basement that we didn't use it wasn't used as a bathroom nobody used it so it's a small room the temperature was relatively stable in there and then if one of them blew off i i had a small area or i'd even do it in the shower um, that was easy to clean um until i did a raspberry beer and it blew up and it hit the ceiling in the walls and i wound up you know cleaning the room with a paint scraper and repainting <laughs> the bathroom and my wife said we're never putting a beer in there again Listen. Um, so now what I do is I actually have some big uh, bucket, the big blue like uh, Rubbermaid drink buckets that you would see at like a party. Um, and and I, I set the carboy in that. I, I put my beer in the carboy. I've got my airlock on the carboy. And then I take just black plastic and I either lay it over a black plastic bag and put it over the carboy. Um, and what's happened now is um, I call them my beer condoms because if I do have a blow off, that's that's excited or energetic and it goes everywhere it's contained in this plastic bag inside this bucket but i can easily go up and take the plastic off see how the beer is doing i can hear it um through there i can take my sample really quick uh and just like a real condom just like a real condom (laughs) i'm just like he must have like wrote that down and practiced that because that was like the perfect innuendo from start to finish so if you're going to use carboys for your fermentation, use a carboy condom. 
some people use t-shirts that that doesn't that doesn't contain the excitement it just you can't unlike real condoms brandon yes you absolutely can reuse your cardboard condom (laughs) 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 so when do we get banned from facebook is that okay although brian's beer or horse penis is probably uh yeah (laughs) tried my line Um, so what what else have we touched on and i you know i guess just to point that out for people if if somebody new stumbles on this video these are all just basics go out and do the research reach out to your local homebrew club google what we're talking about um this hobby is so approachable and easy to get into and it's it's payoffs are amazing i mean you get to make something that gets you drunk uh, it's more approachable than ever too i mean oh, yeah, yeah. you know everywhere. i feel like every five years it hits like a next level of approachability honestly like i feel yeah. bad for the people who've been doing it for like you know 30 years and like your resources were super limited back then you know my uh, my main resource, like like there's a ton of tons of websites and forums and stuff like that for brewing information and talking to people and stuff. My main one that I frequent is the homebrewing subreddit, but um, they're they're nearing a 100 million. Or, no, I'm sorry, one million um, like subscribers just to like the homebrewing subreddit right now. Like it's uh, like it's a lot of people. I think I heard a statistic some odd years ago. And I think it was just for men uh, in America, but something like one out of every six American men have or are uh, like currently homebrewers or have like homebrewed at some point in time in their lives. Like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, Oh, you got a question from Brandon. So what was your goal when you first started homebrewing and what's your goal now? Brewing goal. Jump on that. Brian, what's your goal? Why did you get into it? Man, so when I first got into it, uh, it was because I was poor shit. And uh, I really liked beer. And I thought that it would be a good way to save money because uh, making five gallons of beer (laughs) for the same price as, you know, a couple six packs, uh, you know, is... uh, yeah, it, it would be a good investment. Uh, How's that work out for you? I I have three freezers and two refrigerators in my basement <laughs> with like thousands of dollars in other equipment, like consistently spending like hundreds of dollars a month on ingredients, uh, giving away two thirds of all the beer that I make. <laughs> yeah, the biggest uh, lie I was told when I got into it that this was cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Um, know, my first, my first per bottle price was like ten bucks a bottle. Yeah. So. <laughs> After the initial investment, you know, it, it it will get there. But then there's always something new. Oh, like yeah. my my next investment is going to be electric brewing, and and probably just not an all in one system. So who even knows there? But there's there's always something else. There's always special bottles that you want, and when you start wanting to get into like brewing, you know, mixed fermentation sour beers, 
but you don't want to use just the stuff that you can find, you know, from yeast suppliers. So you find nice bottles of sour to harvest the dregs. Then you need the equipment to make sours for the dregs that aren't going to contaminate your other equipment. So you buy separate equipment for that, but then you're going to bottle your sour beer and you don't want to cross contaminate, you know, for your normal equipment. So you buy equipment just for your sour beer. And it just goes on and on and on and on. So, so Drew, that this one might this this question might be better for you since you're you're out of the five of us. You're the you're the one going pro. So, I, I guess what was your goal when you started, and, and why 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 pro? Why now? Um, cool points. Does that work for <laughs> why I started in the first place? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Who who, yeah. who wouldn't want to be like the guy in Untapped, you know, getting like the five stars or whatever, being like this beer like kicks ass. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, like, I mean, you know, if you, if you told me your hobby was basket weaving or something, I'd be like, that's cool. Like, I'm glad that gets you going, you know. But it's like <laughs> brewing beer, man. Like everybody can enjoy and share in that, you know. It's it's just, um, you know, one of those things. Um, and then, you know, obviously now, um, I, I love it so much. I, I want to do it for a living. So that's where my head's at. That's, that's where I'm headed. Um, I've always wanted to run my own business someday. So working on getting Doster Brewing Co up and running and, um, doing this thing, uh, full time. So right on. Yeah. So then for the homebrewers, Doug or Bill, why do you guys keep doing it? Well, Doug go first. I cut him off. <laughs> yeah, I started it because I needed a hobby. You know, I, I used to work a lot. just didn't really have any hobbies. And it was really fun when I started. And, you know, four and a half years into it, it kind of was the same. I was like, man, maybe I want to do. Actually, into the halfway through the first brew, I'm like, I'm opening my own brewery. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Now. Uh, it's it, where it's going, just making good beer. I make a lot of beer for friends. You know, I kind of been getting guys to set up kegerators. I'm like, Hey, go buy these ingredients. And, uh, I make a beer form. It's, it's just fun. It's, it's just a great hobby. I mean, I'm kind of the same. I give away way more than I drink. It's just, it's just fun. The whole going pro thing to me, uh, I was more afraid, uh, wouldn't like it anymore you know this if my livelihood depended on it you know i was i was more concerned that this thing would be fun anymore and i, I really enjoy this i kind of want to keep it I, I did a little internship at the brewery it was fun then i just kind of seeing that i was kind of like nah i want to keep this as a hobby <laughs> what about you bill yeah i was you know, a big craft beer nerd uh for a real long time and not any of my friends were, you know, so I was getting to the point where I go to like Megabev and I think I was, it was hard to find something that I hadn't tried. I do not have that problem now. <laughs> like, I bet I haven't had 20% of what's on the shelves these days, but, but you know, after a while you're kind of like, I want to make something. I want to create something. And I, I like, like you, yeah, I like to cook and, and uh, you know, I like science. I was a chemistry major, uh, biochemistry major actually. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, to me, it just kind of fit. Uh, into a hobby that I kind of needed something like that. I wanted something like that. And, um, but yeah, now, I mean, I don't, I'm not going pro. 
you know, I think everybody's had that same that same dream, though. You know, every homebrewer, like at least once or twice, somebody tells you, "Oh, no, you should make this. You should sell it." You know? And you go, "Well, oh, maybe I could." Now it's like, no, I, you know, everybody I talk to that you know does that, they wind up, you know, doing. You'll find out, Drew. I'm sure, but <laughs> way more not doing stuff and brewing stuff once they get going, and that's not what yeah, I want. Yeah, so. I'm probably going to be dipping more into my business entrepreneurial side and less of my brewing side. Right. See, yeah. I think that's why take off. So I think so that's, that's okay. the benefit for you though, Drew, is, is you yeah. wanted to own your own business and that's what you want. You know, that was your dream. And I, I agree with, with Doug, you know, I don't, I never, I never wanted to own my own business, so I don't want to ruin my hobby by making it my job. Um, yeah. Um, but, but totally you have that other that. side. So you, you get to do two dreams. That's, that's cool. Um, oh yeah. I'm all, you know, management, business major, that's, that's what I've always been into. So working for myself, you know, why not make beer? Sounds like fun to me. So Exactly. I think that's why I got started. In it. And for me, you know, to answer Brandon's question is, it sounded fun. You know, I was, mm-hmm. I was starting to hang out at microbreweries or craft breweries and, and started getting to know Trevor and talk to people about it. And I like cooking and, and it sounded neat. I'm like, well, hell, I can... I can try that, and and I I'll try a lot of hobbies. I probably try way too many hobbies, um, but now I guess what keeps me going, is, I have definitely stepped down. Like I, I've had the years where I, I brewed sixty batches of beer in a year. Um, wow! I got a, a year like this year where I not sixty five gallon batches because that's illegal. There's there's multiple adults in his house. It's oh, okay, all right, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where I, I had a batch of brew, uh, at least a batch of beer going every week. Um, wow! And then some weekends where I was brewing two or three. And uh, yeah, screw you. <laughs> it makes up for it. I then, I, cares. then I've got this year. I think I brewed like four. You know, or yeah, or whatever. But it was it was my obsession for a while, and now it's now I although I know a lot more now, and I can. Back then, I was sitting there going, I wonder what rose hips oranges and peppercorns would be like and <laughs> pale ale and now i'm like yeah wasn't that good uh, <laughs> yep. but you know and, and but i know you can't find that shit on, in, on you know on the shelves or anything like that so it right. pushes the craft forward you got to have a few mistakes along the way i mean right and then now and what, what keeps me going is the same thing it's i say the club all the damn time i did not get enough uh participation trophies when I was a kid and I love competitions. I think we had that conversation before. I was yeah. the same way. My my first ever medal that I got for anything that wasn't a participation trophy was you know, three years ago when I got a medal for brewing a beer. Yeah. And like all of a sudden you're like, it's like a fucking rush. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, I'm good at something. <laughs> I I brewed that first IPA, that my very first beer Trevor convinced me to submit it to Sicilianos. I got a medal. I know now that, you know, any beer that scores over 30 points or 32 points at Sicilianos gets a medal. I know that hundreds of people got a medal in that competition, but it didn't matter at the time. Absolutely. I got a medal. I took it down to Trevor. Look at what I got. He hung it around my neck in the brewery, made me wear it around the brewery, (laughs) and people bought me beer. And uh, yeah. Awesome. And it was like it was like crack. I need that. Uh, 
you know, so now that's that's primarily what I do. I, I'm, I'm thinking about recipes I can brew for various competitions, and uh, and and this year to have no competitions is totally fucking sucks. So that's been a bummer. Why don't you guys enter the Mazer Cup? The fan. The, the, I, I will next year. And all the meat that I had for the Mazer Cup this year was like eight dollars a bottle, and I just wasn't willing to give it That's up. Fair. I guess. <laughs> That's my problem with competitions. I'm so cheap, you know. It's like, <laughs> by the time you you like give away the beer, and then you pay somewhere to ship it somewhere. You know, it's eighteen twenty dollars just to ship it, plus the entrance fees. It's like, man. That metal isn't worth that. I love the free ones, you know, or the local ones. The drop-off ones I usually do. So. It's worth 10 times that, though. Yeah, I just right. dump money down the drain and send some bottles in. Yeah. It's okay. Just, I did just send, uh, I sent a couple beers to the Brewlosophy podcast, so we'll see if we'll... Oh, nice. Right. How long ago? That was more expensive than I thought it was going to be. That was uh, like three, three and a half weeks ago. He said they're they're uh, waiting to be uh, you know sampled or whatever at the... So we'll see what Jersey and Tim have to say about me. Where does he live? Is, is he Fresno. in America? Fresno. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think they just got evacuated or a lot of parts of Fresno. That's for sure. Yeah. Maybe it'll burn up in a fire. I don't yeah. Know, for his sake. But good God. That'd be even a bigger waste. Of my the, the few homebrew reviews I've heard them do have been pretty uh, interesting. So. Yeah, I just thought it'd be funny. You know, I no, I, I, I'd love to do it too. I should. I, I actually yeah. just kind of wanted to hear what they'd say. And, you're, you're my fucking hero for yeah. doing it, man. They, they oh, do cool. them in sessions, as I understand. Right? So like, like twenty bucks, you know, they'll, 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 they'll do like eight or ten so, yeah. beers in a night or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. No, that, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Brian? Did we? Did you? Did you talk about it? About, about you do it and what you're doing it for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I uh, it, it was to save money at first. Yeah, now now it's a little bit of like, I don't know. I I, I want to say partially like notoriety. Like I'm never gonna like open up my own homebrew club or anything like that. But at the same time, like I I like being uh, a person that people come to with like questions and stuff like that. And not even like if if it can't even be like locally or something like that, like. I participate, you know, on this the homebrewing subreddit a lot. I, I write articles for the website a lot. I just try to like put information out there, and uh, and and I've got people finding old posts that I've made on Reddit, like sending me messages, like every couple of weeks about like a rye wines or um, like a I, I made one about brewing like a like the smoothie style sour beers when those were first like starting to get popular and stuff like that. Um, but really now, uh, it's not so much even brewing in general as it is like the home brewing community for me. I want to uh, be somebody that can like help the home brewing community grow. So one of, one of my goals sometime maybe in the next like 10 years or so is to um, uh, run for uh, an AHA like board spot. Nice. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But yeah, I don't know. I just... Uh, I think it's like like you have all said, it's just a fucking great hobby. Mm-hmm. And like it's not even about the beer necessarily. It's more about the community of people that are making the beer for me. Like like everybody is just so cool. Like <laughs> that I don't I don't I can't think of a single like home brewer that's like a total asshole. Like uh I think and, it's why we do what we're doing now, even though this show and, 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 and stuff, <laughs> it was to be more engaged with the brewing community in Michigan. It's such a great, yeah, uh, great 
group of people. Um, that said, we should do if we. I, I know our viewers are still pretty low, but we should. Uh, we should try to do a monthly or bi-monthly homebrew where all we do is try people's shit and talk about it. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, Mike Lifefoot gave us a couple beers, you know, a couple months ago. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I'd and, love uh, to. I'd love to drink more people's beer on air. Uh, one just to get more free beer. So um, that would be awesome. Let's do that. Yeah. Both yeah. Right on. Well, so the the show is going on a little bit long, but like one last thing that I kind of wanted to to talk about that I thought was kind of interesting, um, or maybe some of like the like when we first start homebrewing, a lot of what we learn is by like hearsay and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot of like homebrew myths that uh, that we all hear, um, like uh, uh, oh gosh. I wrote something down here earlier when I was when I was thinking about like uh like topics to to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah, like a like a something that no, none of us really do anymore, like secondary fermentations, right? Um, so a lot of kits that you buy today, and I haven't brewed like a kit in a while, but I see people posting kit questions all the time, and uh, a lot of these kits suggests that after fermentation is done still to transfer to another bucket to get off of the yeast and then later again to transfer to a bottling bucket to actually do the bottling um which as we know as like more experienced home brewers that uh adds a lot of oxygen uh to the the you know fermented beer and will add sherry and cardboard flavors and stuff that we don't really want and we don't do that anymore but like I guess a lot of these kits still do that apparently. And, th and this is just like a, a speculation sort of thing, but uh, uh, they do it as a way to sell more equipment. Um, <laughs> because, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you need another bucket. Yep. You need a racking cane. Um, yep. And there's there's probably other a few thing another few things you need too. A stainless steel racking cane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brew SSS um, siphon. Yeah. Um, but and and you know part of it's probably just like outdated, uh, you know, generic information that they send with every recipe or whatever. But like, yeah, I mean there there's got to be, especially in the olden days, like. I don't know if it's just a beer kit thing though, because I'm looking back on it. I never use, I've never used a beer kit. I've always, you know, brewed all grain individual, you know, by, by buying the individual ingredients. But I want to say for the first two to three years of brewing, I racked every goddamn beer on sure. this. I, like, I had secondary or even tertiary on every Most of mine single I did too. one. Mm -hmm. uh, and then at some point I was just like, why the hell am I doing this? And uh, I don't, I can't say that I've gone into secondary on anything. Um, yeah. Hell, even my fruit beers now, um, I'm just adding fruit to the primary. Um, yeah, yep. and letting it go. But, so, no, don't you don't you think the ability to cold crash or keg makes a huge difference there too? Though, I mean, like if clarity is your main goal with going to a secondary, like I mean, when I started out, I had no way to cold crash. I was bottling everything. I mean, what do you guys think? No, I, I think cold crashing definitely helped, but it's, I'm struggling. I'm trying to be like, well, I, I know, I've always cold crashed, but then again, I started brewing in January. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah. I literally did cold crash. Just I, I used to, you know, for the first three or four months of my brewing, I cold crashed in my garage. Uh, and then I got a temp controller and a keyser pretty quick. Um, so, so yeah, the ability, having the ability to cold crash definitely does reduce the the need to probably, or probably reduces the need for people to go to secondary for clarity. Yeah, let's say you live in Texas, Jason. What do you do then? I, you get a, a $39 Inkbird and a, a used freezer off Craigslist. All right, right? yeah. <laughs> there so you go. I, I, I think you just deal with having sediment at the bottom of the bottle, and it's fine. That's right, that, too. That, that stuff's going to crash out. Right. Yeah, I, and to be honest with you, even in competitions, they don't really judge that. That, that. that might be like a point. If that one, they don't even see the bottle. So, and and the the visual aspect is only worth three points, right? So, yeah, total, right? Total, right. So that's what I'm saying. You might lose a point if you're if your beer has some sediment or some floaties. It's homebrew. Drink it. Yeah. And, and well, man, speaking of that, like so many breweries are putting out uh, beer these days that are like, you know, drink right from the can, like, you know, heavy, the, the alchemist. Heavy Topper says it right on the top yeah, of the yeah. can. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and part of that was that they didn't want people judging their beer's haziness and, and having it, you know, be a off-putting thing i think you know eddie topper has and, fucking and, hop leaves floating in it man oh dude i mean mo <laughs> most of the big like new england's do these days all all of old nation stuff do um hot butcher i get some of that stuff the stuff that i have from ferndale project uh, has some like it's just like a thing you know for better or for worse but you sort of have to homebrew poor commercial beers now um <laughs> sometimes and you know well, maybe, it's, maybe it's just becoming a thing doesn't Old Nation have a thing on the side that says to roll the can just to get all the mm -hmm. sediment off and kind of mix? Yeah, and they, they say you can do either or. Yeah, you can, you can it roll it, or mix it in, or leave you can it do behind. Or. Yeah. yeah. But they're also kind of embracing the haze, too, which has gotten, you know, from when Hetty Topper for, was, you know, came out as, as I guess, ultimately the, the first New England, you know, when New England's and the haze craze wasn't a thing, they were, you know, they didn't want people bitching about this hazy, funky, mm -hmm. cloudy, yeah. chunky beer. Um, and so I said, you know, drink straight from the can. Uh, but now I think it's it's kind of gotten accepted more. And so you got Old Nation who's like, yeah, roll it, stir it up, mix it up, pour it out. It's, mm -hmm. it's part of it. Pour it like a, like a heffy or something. <laughs> right. So what other other myths? Does anybody else have any any uh, anything else like that that... I don't usually like rehydrate dry yeast much anymore. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of difference from what I've read, and I've done it, and it doesn't seem to matter. Sometimes I'll sprinkle it in. Even the Lalaman guy that we, I think he was on, uh, something he just said it might kick off a little faster, but looks like the endpoint's always about the same. So I don't think that's a necessary step, even though the package, every you know, every new homebrew will get that and do it because it says it on the package to do it. You know. It's but. true. I mean, a, a lot of that's a lot of homebrewers talk about like that next going to the next level is kind of doing the yeast starter, and I know Brian likes them. And yeah, um, but yeah, with with dry, you don't really have to. And even for dry yeast, they recommend not doing the yeast starter. It has all like the oxygen and nutrient requirements like needed, like baked into like the powder, you know, essentially. Uh, so yeah, I've I've never uh, rehydrated a dry yeast for my beers. Um, I do for my meads and wines. 
with uh, with some extra nutrient. Um, so that's probably like a a one off there, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, the only, the I need thing... to do like a. Oh, go ahead. I like a vitality starter sometimes, just kind of like a quick little bit of work in there and let it sit while I'm brewing for the day. You know, I didn't do the whole stir plate things, kind of let it get going a little bit. I did an imperial stout. Go ahead. What? No, you're doing like a bloom. You're just letting it kind of hydrate. Yeah, it's kind of hydrate a little bit, and there's a little sugar in there. Like I'll just mix a little DMA or Mm -hmm. uh, one of those. You know, prop starters. I did do a starter with K97 last year because I just wanted to see how it would do. I did a I did an imperial stout with it, believe it or not. Really? And it was yeah. yeah, it was like a starting gravity is 1.113 and it fermented down to like 1020, 1025. It was like three packs and uh yeah, it used the tolerance on it was 10%. I think I hit 10%. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, just just wanted to try it. Good work. I actually still have about a quarter keg left sitting in my kegerator right now. I just put it back on gas. Yeah, I can't think of any other myths specifically for me that I was. I mean, the only I got other a lot of shit off of you, like <laughs> you know my my CO two condoms with uh. Well, yeah, speaking of CO2, I mean, that's the only other one that I can think of, like, right offhand is that I see a lot. Um, I, I won't say a lot, but a couple times a year, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see somebody make a comment with a suggestion of, uh, like, if they, uh, like, if somebody, I don't know, maybe, like, dry hops their beer or something like that to just spray a little bit of CO2 inside and close the lid because the CO2 will form a layer uh over the beer because co2 is heavier than air right like the whole co2 layer mm-hmm. thing and that the oxygen can't get through it but uh uh that's not a thing right like uh so so gas expands to uh fill the containers that they're in as we learned in like you know elementary I school or whatever yeah thank you yeah. um so so uh, there's so much energy with like the molecules bouncing around and shit like that that like even though co2 is heavier than air like those like co2 molecules are gonna be fucking bouncing all over the place because they're being hit by every, all the other molecules that are bouncing all over the place so there's no layer um if you were to like take a a jar of co2 and like tip it over like it would you know if you could see it probably like sort of like for you know a little bit like formal layer um, you know, people like to point out that uh, that event that happened, and I think it was someplace in either Africa or South America, where like the CO two eruption happened in that lake, yep. and 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 you know covered up this little village and like killed ev- like almost everybody. Um, they're like, well, if, if CO two you know wasn't heavier than air and couldn't form a layer, then those people wouldn't have died. But like the thing is, like it does at first because it's you know it just hasn't had the chance to you know, expand outward and stuff like that. So I don't know. I just, <laughs> you're giving me a look, Brian. Jason. <laughs> it's, it's, you're kind of going against purging a little bit. And I believe in purging, but I also, oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm trying to relate it to, um, you know, when you purge a vessel, you're not just putting a little bit in. You're, you're, you're filling displacing. the vessel. Yeah, you're, you're, you're filling it up and you're removing. Yeah, and then you're also you know, refilling it. of air and oxygen. Yeah. Air, basically. But, and, and you're filling it quickly. But you're increasing yeah. the amount of CO2 percentage every right. time. So yep. You're yeah. going to be reducing the oxygen when you purge. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I, a little CO2 buffer in there. Exactly. I, I think I, you know, I was a but you, I read that and was like, oh. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I don't ever imagine that I'm like pouring a layer of CO2 <laughs> yeah. over. The, no, you know, I like. I, I feel like I have to. And in fact, when I first, the first time I ever participated in a professional bottling, I went to a brewery and I helped them bottle, and 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 we were using beer guns, which you know you can squirt CO2 and then you 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 pull a trigger and fill with beer. And I remember probably thinking like that, like I just need a little layer. So I was going like, and then <laughs> with beer and the, the brewer came over and he's like, no, you like lay on it. Like, I'm like, well, that's way more, you know, CO2 than is filling that vessel. But again, cause you're displacing all of the air. You're not, yeah, yeah. you're not laying the, the blanket of CO2. And then having the, the layer of CO2 go like this as the beer, you know, raises it up or whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're displacing the, 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 the air with CO2 and then you're displacing the CO2. With yeah. I, 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 I try to purge a lot of my stuff with CO2 for sure. I, and I did once carbonate Matt McQuillan's work. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Matt McQuillan uh, won the 2018 Bell's Homebrew Competition. Uh, the 2017 competition, I pretty much completely fucked his chance because I tried to. Uh, uh, I got I got his wart in, in a in a keg basically, and I tried to uh, fill it with CO2 and purge it and stuff like that. But I kept it under pressure, a little bit of CO2 pressure to to keep the. Uh, you know, seal on the keg sealed. And it just so happened that I kept it under enough pressure where I pressurized the wart before he like started to like <laughs> use it for anything. And I had a very, very particular smell to it that carried through to like the end beer. Uh, so, so uh, I'm glad that Matt got redemption the next year. Uh, he probably would have won two years in a row. I, I say that. You know, maybe it's my fault. But oh, here's I, lo a, I love you, Matt. Here's a good myth, um, a good myth from Patrick: hot side oxygen. Uh, and and uh, the fence is. I mean, the I don't know. It's still out there. the The people that believe in HSA really still believe in HSA. There's the low oxygen guys that like brew some pretty Hello. amazing beers. Uh, that that you know totally think that HSA is a thing. Do you want to explain what HSA is? I'm sorry, Jason. No, so so hot side aeration or hot side oxygenation is yeah, it's it's when you're when your wort um, you know is either uh, you know at post boil uh, post boiling pre cooling, uh, you don't want to disturb or aerate your wort. Uh, it can cause um, when when the wort is hot. Uh, I'm probably going to fuck this up. But the the aeration can dissolve, or the, the gases in the air can dissolve faster in that, and it can leave some off flavors in the wort before the yeast can 
um, get to work on it. And so you, that's why I mentioned earlier that you wanted to, to aerate or oxygenate your wart. You want to do that after you've cooled it down to at least below 80 degrees, I think is the, the point. Most people try to hit 70 degrees before they aerate oxygenate. Um, there's yeast manufacturers like White Labs that will actually tell you, uh, you know, I, I might even say it on their packet. Like, I, I don't know if it says it on the packet, but I, I've, I've seen an interview with, uh, is it Mike White? Um, where if your yeast is strong enough and healthy enough and you oxygenate properly, that your yeast will eat off any off flavors you get from HSA. Um, and and I've, I've heard that a lot. I, I, I've, I've personally, I don't really worry about HSA, but on the flip side, I also don't let my beer get sloshed around before I cool it, you know, like from the point that it finished boiling, you know, the flame out to the point that I'm pitching it, I'm not letting it get disturbed. Um, so I, I understand that a lot of people worry about it and think about it. Um, but I, I, I personally don't think it's a big, big deal, but I also don't do anything to know for sure, I guess. Yeah, um, I'm I'm pretty much 100 with you. I, uh, I I don't I don't fight whether it's real or not. Uh, I I 100 agree that the people that do whatever they can to you know eliminate it make amazing beers, but so do the people that don't do anything. So right. yeah. A, a related one I think of is like sanitizing stuff that's hot side equipment which is one i see every so often like or like really i think you're just wasting your time like if it's all stuff that's going to get boiled anyway i was big on that for a while and and what drew is referring to is anything that's going to go into the any, anything that happens to the wart basically before it goes into the boil pot uh as long as it's not like dirt <laughs> And, yeah. and like you know, you clean it, but like, <laughs> don't bother sanitizing it. I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. it's all gonna get boiled and stuff like that. And I used to be super big into sanitizing all of my shit all brew day long. Every time anything, no matter what, when touched, like anything related to my beer, like it was sanitized beforehand and, and yada yada. And, yeah. I remember in that first beer I brewed, if I took my spoon and laid it on the counter, I got all paranoid. Even like I'm stirring my boiling wort and I, I laid my spoon down, then I got paranoid and I went and cleaned it and sanitized it. <laughs> yeah. I and yep. I know now, like, what a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> you know, like you said, you're putting it in boiling liquid. Like anything, anything pre flame out is sanitized, you know? And. Uh, yep. But yet, at the same time, I still make that five-gallon bucket of sandy water every time at the beginning of my brew. I've gone down to two and a half now. I, I do five. Enough, yeah, two and a half. I even laughed on it and last a weekend. Spray bottle. Oh, the, the spray bottle, you bet. But uh, I laughed at it last weekend, where it's like I set up my my brew day is like I, I get all my shit set up. I make that bucket of, of sandy water that I put everything in, and then I start my brew, and I throw my chiller in there too. And I'm like, why am I stoking my chiller in sandy water for 45 minutes? If, I mean, I, I throw my chiller in my kettle at 15 minutes before flame out. So that, that thing is well done and cooked. It, you know, it, it could be sitting on the damn ground, you know, for all that really matters. But yet I still soak it for 45 minutes before. Must not be copper then. It is copper. You put it in star sand? Yeah. Oh, that yeah. eats away a copper. 
Had yeah. that thing for seven years, man. <laughs> <laughs> I throw it in you know, with ice and boiling it. Sanitize it that way. I'm weird about using star sand on my copper. That's funny. I mean, I I know I know that it leaches it slightly, but yeah, I've been I've had that same chiller for seven years and six and a half years, seven years, seven years, and it's been it's, it's sat in, in a bucket of sandy water for at least thirty five minutes to an hour on every wow. it's ever done. I probably worry about it too much. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's probably like the quote that you can take away like from this entire episode is i probably worry about it too much yeah the, the whole relax yeah. don't worry have I a homebrew yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i should have wore my other shirt that said mash boil chill just chill uh, <laughs> just, just like yeah i just says ask me about g suite what about <laughs> tell me about it <laughs> I got like two or three of those shirts too. Yeah. Every time I walk into a place with that thing on, some smart ass is like, what about G Suite? And I'm like, I don't know. Just it sucks, it man. It sucks, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's that's all I got, gents. That, that, was, uh, that was the last of my questions. Greater good? Yeah, yeah, my myth uh, for you guys. Yeah. Uh, that no, I'm sorry. Back, that's all right. Yeah. It's like 25 years ago. That's how long my myth goes back. Uh, that was from high school when I said chemistry sucks. When am I ever going to use this? That's <laughs> that's my learning experience there. Yeah, absolutely. It still holds true for algebra, though. Fuck algebra. Yeah. Then. <laughs> well, see, I use algebra, but yeah. <laughs> no, you're, you're never going to have a calculator in your pocket. No, yeah. It's in my phone. <laughs> but if you're in the desert, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to solve for B to find water. <laughs> <laughs> Who, there, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a meme out there that yeah, that somebody said you're never gonna have a calculator in the real world. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, anybody else have anything? Matt, I had a question for Bill. I don't know if you know. Oh yeah, answer, but. Uh, yeah, where's that at? Any any news? Any updates? Uh, they, I mean, they pushed it all to 2021. So, um, so we're gonna brew it. I, I, I mean, if everything's hopefully in a better place, <laughs> we'll probably brew it next summer, and then uh, hopefully GABF will go next year. We'll be able to do the pro am next year. So, cool. for uh, for those that don't know, yeah. Bell, Bell won the 2019 Bell's Homebrew Competition, so he gets to brew his beer with Bell's and enter it into uh, GABF and. Go to Colorado with them and stuff like that next year. Now, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, the world's back. What, what beer was it? It was, was a beer, coffee blonde, basically. Here we go. Yeah, nice. So it was like nine percent or something. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was the one I brewed for them was like eight and a half, and then when I rebrewed it, it got up to like nine because it, it's uh, fermented out a little more with the, yeah, yeah. the other yeast. So, but yeah, no, they were both good. I mean, so they were, bad. yeah, yeah. Right on. Well, uh, Patrick's next. got a good question too. Whether or not you guys stir while cooling. Oh yeah. I used to be kind of weird about that, but um, I I pretty much do now. Like, I'll stir I, a spoon around it to get yep. a like whirlpool effect going. Yeah, I don't go to town on it, but I definitely do stir it. Try not to agitate it too much. I move my chiller back and forth instead of like stirring around it. But, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a plate killer, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Primarily, yeah. Bill's fancy. He's 
<laughs> well, we're we're back to basics, basics right now. We'll advance you. We're, we'll uh, we'll invite you back when we do a, uh, you know, up yeah. to advance. Pretentious <laughs> brewing. Pretentious right. brewing. That'll be a great episode. Brewing. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, brewery name right there. Right. <laughs> there you go. You can keep that, Drew. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a lot of skinny jeans and man buns. Mm-hmm. You know it. <laughs> there won't be a show next week. It's the first Monday of the month. We may or may not have a homebrew meeting. Uh, but I think we're going to take a week off, and we'll be back on the 9th of November. Uh, the subject of that show will be announced here in the next week or so uh, while we figure that out and finalize some things. Uh, or pull something out of our ass. <laughs> um, ain't nobody paying us for this shit, man. This is all for fun. <laughs> so uh, that said, uh, see everybody in a couple of weeks. Thanks for hanging out and having a beer with us. And uh, cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. cheers.